0: Thank you so much. Just for the opportunity to stand in your presence, uh, Lord God, today of all days as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as we approach your word today, uh, I pray that you would reveal to us uh, the wonders of your word. God, it's not a book. It's alive and it it is active and it's sharp Uh, as any, any sword God to be able to cut even down to the deep parts of us and, 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 and make. Uh, Room and make changes uh, for us to grow more in you. Lord, as we uh, celebrate resurrection today, we we pray for uh, the Betts family as they sit at the bedside of Chelsea's grandmother. I thank you, Lord, for the firm confidence and the hope of knowing uh, that you are Lord of her life and Lord of her heart. Uh, God, and I thank you that uh, there's peace upon her heart and her mind uh, during this time. And Lord, as the family... Uh, approaches this with her. I thank you that your peace and your grace are ever more available, God, and so tangible uh, so that they're able to, to feed on uh, your loving kindness and your tender mercies uh, during this time of uh, need, during this time of transition. And I thank you, Lord, God, that you unleash joy uh, into the situation, God, because what, what a thing to celebrate. Uh, the, the expectation of the going home Uh, of one of our elder saints. We thank you uh, for your goodness in all things, and and thank you for your goodness towards us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles this morning, open those to the book of Romans, chapter 4 and verse 25. Uh, I want to mention before we we get too far into this that uh, we we had some of our ladies come up yesterday, and they, they helped clean and get everything ready here in the building, and we put together a little photo backdrop. Uh, in here, in the cafe, uh, everybody is, is always wanting to take their Easter picture, so we've got a good spot for you to take that after service. Uh, Kelly volunteers, she'll be out there. If you want her to take it with your phone, she'll be glad to do that. You want her to take it with her phone. If, if uh, you need that, uh, she'll be able to do that and send it to you. Amen. So in the book of Romans, chapter 4 and verse 25, as we've been studying the last uh, quite a few weeks now, on this walk up to Easter, we've been spending time just focusing on Jesus, right? Who he is, what he did, what he's done, and what that means for us because of a, lot, a lot of that goes to his authority in our life. He can say something out of the word towards us, but how we receive him makes all the difference. If we think he's just a nice man, we'll receive it like a word from a nice man. If we think that he uh, was a prophetic teacher, we'll receive it as a word from a prophetic teacher. But if we take it that he is the savior of the world and God's only son, then we receive it that way. Amen. So we talked about from Matthew chapter 1 that he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the promise that has come. And we talked about how he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and how much that means to us and to our situation. We read about how he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to there be tested, tempted, tried by the enemy, by the devil, and how he was the one who passed the test. None of us have ever passed it. No one else had passed it. We have plenty of record in the Bible of men and women that failed, but he was the one who passed the test, and we read a conversation in John three that he had with a man named Nicodemus, where he said, "Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you be what? Born again." And so we learned about that. How we weren't born okay the first time. That a second birth is required, and he came to make that available. And then we read in Luke eight some great stories. In there about his ministry here on this earth, how he began to demonstrate that he had authority. Authority over what? Authority over everything, right? Authority over the demonic, authority over nature, authority over sickness and disease, and even death itself, he had authority over that. And then last week we read about his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, his last entrance, it may, you know, primarily until that that, that final week that we celebrate around Easter, the final week of his life before the crucifixion, how he came into the city not uh, to make war, but to make peace. He came in riding on a donkey's colt. He came in in humility, and the people chanted and sang, you know, God save the Son of David. The Son of David has come to save us. Hosanna in the highest. God saves, right? So all of those things leading up to the king is here in the city of the king, and something was about to happen. And so today we're going to start, uh, he said, actually in the book of Romans, because there's something I believe that God really wants us to see today on this resurrection day. Romans 4.25, it says that Jesus, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So some very important things in that that we need to pull out. Jesus came and died for our sins. He didn't die because he had sinned. This wasn't his punishment. He came and was handed over for our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Right with God, the Bible also uses the word justification. And, and, and my definition of that means he takes the wrong off of something. And you've heard that before where somebody say, well, why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. Well, it's okay. Here's why I did it. Let me give you my justification for doing it. I know it seemed like it was wrong, but it wasn't. I'll tell you why, and then that'll take the wrong off of it. But what he did, his sacrifice for our sins, his raising for our justification was to take the wrong off off of us the wrong that was on us it, justification is the act of god declaring man to be free from guilt and acceptable to come near acceptable to come near him and then 5 verse 1 therefore since we have been made right in god's sight by faith that right with god again speaking to that justification we have peace With God. You can have a peace about a lot of things, but the most important peace in your life is gonna be the peace between you and God because when you were born, there was not peace between you and God. There was enmity. You were a rebel in His sight because you were born a rebel. You were born a traitor to the king's throne. You would have rather had it for yourself than to let Him sit on it in your life. And that peace with God, that tranquility, the language there is what you would use for a nation that is no longer at war. They were at war with another nation and now there's not. Now there is peace there. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. What, What did he do? He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to make us right with God. The English Standard Version reads, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Again, it was because of our sins that he died and he rose again so that we could be right with God. And this message is the heartbeat of the gospel. And the cross is the primary and central symbol of all Christianity. Have you noticed that? You saw the, the, the fire in the cathedral and. Uh, in, in, in Europe and France, and everybody focused on the picture of the inside after the fire had burned. What, what was still there? You saw the cross. The cross is the primary symbol of, of, of our Christianity. And the question is why? Why the cross? Why did we have to have the cross? Why was the cross necessary? And why is it so important? Why did it? We all know the the story of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. The question is, why did it go down like that? Why does the cross matter? Romans told us that Christ was, he died so that God could forgive our sins, right? He was handed over for, for our sins, he was raised for our justification. But why something we don't understand in our own mind and something our culture definitely can't wrap its mind around is why did that have to happen? Why did the cross have to be? We read the story about Jesus' crucifixion and it's so brutal and it's so barbaric. Couldn't God, who's all-powerful and almighty and all-knowing, couldn't God just forgive? Why couldn't God just forgive? Why couldn't God just accept everybody? At least the ones that said, hey, sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. Why the cross? Why was the cross necessary? This was a part of a study that I did. I guess it was last year and God just brought this back up. Why the cross? Why is the cross necessary? And and the first reason is, is that real forgiveness is costly. Real forgiveness is costly and it involves Suffering. And let's, let, let's talk about that. Let's use some examples. Let's say, we'll just use a real life, real world example. Let's say that I borrow Matthew's car. And I'm in Matthew's car, and I'm driving it, and I just wreck it. I mean wreck it good. I'm talking about totaled. And his insurance company says, Matthew, we're not going to cover that because he was, Stephen, was driving with his feet. And that's not covered under your policy, so we're not going to cover that loss. So look now, one of three things is going to happen. Either I'm going to pay for it, he's going to pay for it, or we're going to have to come together and both pay some of it, right? Why? Because damage has been caused, a debt has been created, and the, the cost of that damage has to be borne by somebody. It has to be carried by somebody, right? So if Matthew tells me, Stephen, look, I understand you thought it would be neat to drive with your feet. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I forgive you. Okay. Who paid it? Matthew paid it, right? He paid it. Why? Because somebody had to. Let's think about it a different way. If you have a creditor, you have a debt, and, and, and they call you and they say, hey, that debt... Is forgiven. It's been canceled. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? If they say that, who paid the debt? Huh? They did, right? Because somebody had to pay it. You can't say, well, nobody. It was canceled. When they canceled it, they paid it. You didn't have to pay it. When they canceled it, they Paid it. So anytime a debt is created, it must be paid. It will be paid by someone. Someone is going to bear the cost of that debt. And to forgive a debt is costly. Because if I forgive your debt to me, I'm the one that's paying it. And and, and those are money examples, right? But let's talk about non-money examples. Because some of the biggest debts created in our life, you can't put a price tag on right? Because someone can take your happiness. Someone can take your reputation. Someone can take your peace. Someone can take opportunity away from you. Someone can take respect away from you. Someone can take your freedom away. And you can't put a price tag on that. No money changes hands, right? But we feel deep inside of us the debt that's been created, don't we? You feel it deep down in here that feeling of wrong that feeling of injustice and we use words like that just wasn't right that wasn't right what they did to me and and that feeling that debt doesn't go away just because somebody says oh i'm so sorry right, right? right. some things it would it, you know you don't notice but some things are so deep and so big that you know that it didn't go away. Just when said, oh, well, I I apologize. I'm sorry. It doesn't go away with that. See, when we've been seriously wrong, we feel the debt that's been created between us and whoever perpetrated that action, right? We feel it. And and then what do we want to do? In In our human nature, what we want to do is we want to collect on that debt, Right? I I would like to make them pay for what they just did. I would like to make them pay for that debt that they created. Why? Because if we do that, if we cause them to suffer like we suffered, then we start to feel a little bit satisfied, don't we? We feel some satisfaction in that when they suffer, we feel partially satisfied. Well, now they're paying back what they did. Now, obviously, there are massive problems with that way of handling debts, right? that we don't have to spend too much time unpacking this morning, but, but, but obviously we understand that if we live that way, some things happen on the inside of us. It makes us more selfish. It makes us more cold. It makes us heartless. It can make us prejudiced. If, if we had that, if say a doctor committed something against us that created that debt, we may hate doctors for the rest of our life. So it turns us into something that we don't want to be. And not to mention they may be coming right back at me, right? Because they didn't think they owed me. When I pour out punishment on them, they feel the suffering, and then there's a debt created between me and them, and then here they come. And so it's this cycle of evil and this cycle of debt that does, doesn't stop. Again, there's massive problems with that. Well, uh, the other option is to forgive. Forgive to refuse to make them pay for what they did. That's what forgiveness means, to hold back that payback, to say, I'm not going to collect on that. But look, there's suffering involved in that. That's not easy to do. That's hard to do. And it hurts because, see, when that happens, you're not just suffering the initial event against you. right? The initial wrong that's been done to me this debt that's been created, that, there's suffering in that itself, but there's additional suffering when I say, I'm going to give up my opportunity to collect on that. To give that up, there's a form of suffering in that as well. You're not just suffering the initial loss of what happened. You're also giving up the consolation of one day being able to even things out, right? To inflict pain on them. So when you forgive even something like that, Who's paying the debt? You are. You are. Because the debt was created. If you're not going to collect it from them, you're going to bear the weight. You're absorbing that debt. You're taking it on yourself instead of, instead of extracting vengeance from them. And again, that hurts. It hurts to forgive. That's why we don't do it as often as we should. Right? It hurts. But when we bear the cost of that damage. Because remember, the cost of the damage has to be carried by somebody. The cost of the damage has to be paid by somebody. And even though forgiving is more painful for us and it involves suffering, we know that it's better. We know that it's better when we refuse to take vengeance because after that, there's life. And to forgive stops the cycle of evil where I come back at them and they come back at me and I come back at them and they come back at me There's life after that. See, in our human circumstance, that forgiveness stops the spread of evil. So when we ask questions like why the cross? Why the cross? Why couldn't God just forgive? And what we what we've learned just now is that nobody can just forgive. The debt has to be paid. Right? When I was studying this, I remember reading uh, uh, Shakespeare in high school, Romeo and Juliet. And in in that play, Romeo's friend Mercutio is murdered by Juliet's cousin, Tybalt. I know y'all remember this part of the story, right? (laughs) He's murdered by him. And Romeo confronts Tybalt, who's murdered his friend. And his line is, either thou or I or both must go with him. Mercutio is gone, and either thou or I or both must go with him. What's he saying? A debt has been created. It will be paid. Somebody's going to pay it. So it shows up even in our literature that when debt and damage is created, it must be borne by someone. No one just forgives if the evil that's perpetrated is serious. No one just forgives forgives because forgiveness means bearing the cost and in instead of making the wrongdoer pay the debt forgiveness means absorbing the debt in yourself so everyone who forgives every time you forgive you're paying you're you're, you're bearing the burden of that sin and on the cross god did for us on a cosmic infinite massive scale what we try to do in our life. What we try to do, the same thing we must do to forgive down here, he had to do on the cross. He just did it on a much larger scale. And and we can be honest that even if we've never been taught much out of the word, even if we've never spent much time in church, we understand that forgiveness is better than vengeance. We may like vengeance more, but we understand deep down the only way to make this right, the only way for this to be made whole is to forgive. I wonder where we get that idea from. It's like it's on the inside of us somewhere. Remember, we were created in his image. Even though we were a marred image, we were a broken image, there's still hints and traces of him in us. Even when we're at our darkest point, the light still shines through. So why did Jesus have to die? Why the cross? Because we had a debt. I said earlier, we were rebels. We were traitors to the crown. There was a debt owed and it had to be paid. And God paid it. There was damage that was done. There was a penalty to be carried. And God carried it for us instead of making us carry it. See, when we look at these examples of human forgiveness, it alludes to, the divine forgiveness that makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. So forgiveness places the debt on the innocent and not the guilty. Why the cross? Forgiveness is costly and there's suffering involved. And we shouldn't be surprised that the cross is a symbol of suffering and that there was suffering that happened there because it is costly and you, you endure suffering to forgive. And so that, that's number one, why the cross. Number two, real love involves personal exchange. Real love involves substitution. And there's an exchange there. In real world relationships, it's impossible to love people that have needs and problems, which all of us do. Amen. It's impossible to love people that have needs and problems without some sense of sharing in that with them. Without taking on some of that in your self and sometimes even changing places with them. It requires very little of you to love someone who's happy and has it all together. But what about emotionally wounded people, which again, spoiler alert, is all of us. A quote that I read in studying this by quote by Tim Keller. He said, to bring them up, you must be willing to be drained emotionally. To bring someone else up emotionally, you must be willing to be drained emotionally. Let's use an example. You, you see a drowning man. He's in the water. You're not in the water. The drowning man is in the water. And if you don't help, he'll die. He'll die. He'll drown right there. But if you do help him, you who were perfectly safe and not at risk are now not as safe and you are more at risk. Right? So when you get involved, the drowning man is in less danger than he was before because you're now involved. But the security that you brought to the situation traded places with his insecurity. You being involved has made him more secure and at the same time made yourself less secure and there's been an exchange that's taken place. There's an exchange there, and we see it so much. in our kids, great time for that example. Our kids are weak. They can't do anything, right? They're just a big, screaming, cute mess of need. That's what they are. That's all that they are. There's nothing strong about them. And so what do we do? We give up our strength. We give it into their weakness so that out of their weakness, strength can come. We're literally taking their weakness on in ourselves. That's what Keith is doing right now. He's giving up his independence because she is dependent. So he's putting that independence down and trading it for her dependence. Why? So number one, she can live and be alive. And she's glad for that. And they're gonna continue to sow into her strength that they could have spent on something else, but they're sewing it into her weakness and they're taking that weakness on themselves. If you've ever had a little baby at your house, they make you weaker. <laughs> Much weaker. And, but why? Because what's going on? I'm exchanging. I'm giving them my strength and I'm taking their weakness. And it's not any type of weird mystical thing. It's just literally happening because I'm pouring out strength in them. I'm I'm giving up of my independence and my freedom so that they can have greater independence and greater freedom and greater strength later. There's an exchange there. They're less weak because I'm bringing strength to the situation. We sow our strength into the weakness of our children so they can be strong later. All life-changing love toward people with needs, which again is all people. Involves substitutional sacrifice. I'll step into your weakness and let you draw on my strength. I'll step into your dependence and let you draw on my independence. And you see their weakness flowing towards you and your strength flowing towards them. And on the cross, that's what happened for us. A quote that I read in studying this John Stott in his book, Uh, the cross of Christ, he said, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserved to be, and God put himself where we deserve to be. Remember when we were reading in Matthew 6 and we read where Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other. He'll serve one and despise the other. How many thrones did we say we have in our heart? One. And how many can sit on it? One. And what he's saying in this quote here is you're taking God's seat. You're sitting in the spot that only God deserves to be. You're trying to be God in your own life. You're trying to make the rules for yourself. You're trying to set up your own kingdom and authority. And that's the essence of Of sin, but he says the essence of salvation is God went to where you were supposed to be. You put yourself where he was supposed to be and he put himself where you were supposed to be. And we see there that exchange. So when we ask questions like, why the cross? Why did it have to be so brutal? Why did it have to be so barbaric? I've heard the story and I've seen these movies. That's insane. Why did that have to happen? And the bigger question is, how could a God who loves us not get involved? When we were here in pain and suffering and we were that big ball of weak need, how could he not get involved? And why would we be surprised that his involvement would entail him taking on that same suffering that we were enduring, that same pain that we felt, and that same need that we were experiencing? because you can't get involved, you can't give your strength to that weak one without taking on that weakness into yourself. He can't, It's a double negative. He can't not get involved. He can't refuse to get involved if he's a loving God, and he did get involved. God, who is in the place of ultimate power, reverses places with the most powerless who has all riches reversed places with us who had nothing, who had the power to oppress, but instead identified with the oppressed and with the lowly. The cross means that the world system of who's got the most power, who's got the most wealth, who's got the most ability is broken. Christ achieved greater power through weakness and service and taking on our humanity. His kingdom turns things upside down. It's actually the better, it's probably actually the right side up kingdom. I've heard it called that. It flipped everything on its head because he said, Y'all have been trying to work your way out of this hole for a long time, and you're never going to do it. You're never going to be able to do it. And so he stepped in. And like we read in Romans, he was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life so that we could be right with God. And that's what led him to the cross. The same Jesus we've been studying about, that we've been reading about. That's what led him to the cross, to the crucifixion. Turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 23 and verse 32. We read last week about Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, and everybody was celebrating him. And he came in as a humble king into the city of the king, and he did things there. He, he cleansed the temple. He kicked out uh, those that were changing money and selling sacrifices. He said, this is not the way this is supposed to be. And he kicked them out, and, and he did a lot of great teaching in those days. And he had what we know as the Last Supper, the Passover Supper with his disciples. And it was after that dinner that he was betrayed by one of his own, by Judas Iscariot, who sold the right to hand Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus and his disciples went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked God the Father, he said, if there's any way that this could pass from me, let it be, but not my will, but your will be done. Amen? Because he saw our weakness and he saw what it would take to swap places, and it was massive. And he said, But not my will, but your will be done. And they came and they arrested him in secret and after dark because if they had done it during the day, there would have been a riot and it would have been chaos because so many people loved him and were following him or were interested. In him, And they took him to the house of the high priest named Caiaphas. And he stood in front of false accusations that he had blasphemed God. There was nobody in the room that had blasphemed God less than Jesus. And they said he had blasphemed God the Father. And then they took him before the Roman prefect, Pontius Pilate, because the the religious leaders couldn't crucify him. They couldn't kill him. Again, it would have been... Chaos, So they took him before the Roman leader, Pontius Pilate, and they said, he's a threat to you and he's a threat to Rome. And Pilate met with Jesus and he talked with him and he didn't find any threat. He didn't find any threat. He found a humble man who was not leading any type of insurrection. And he went back to him. He said, there's no fault with this man. This is an innocent man. I don't know why you want to kill this man. And they kept on and they kept on. He said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put him up against this revolutionary that was captured and put in prison named Barabbas and let the people choose. Let the people decide who they want to set free. And he thought surely the people would set Jesus free. They were following Jesus. But they didn't. They said, Barabbas. Said, set Barabbas free. And he said, well, what should I do with this man who says he's the king of the Jews? And they said, crucify him send him to the cross and crucify him. And he said again, he said, I can find nothing wrong with this man. There's nothing wrong with him. This is an innocent man. He's not done anything. But I'm going to wash my hands of it and you do as you will. And so they took Jesus and in Pilate's orders, they, they, they scourged him. They beat him with a whip and opened up his back and they mocked him and they they, they 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 hit him hey you're a prophet tell us who hit you they pulled his beard and they spit on him and they, they took a crown of thorns because they thought that would be funny and they pressed it down onto his head and it dug into his forehead and blood came down on his face and they put a cloak over him of purple to mock him because he said he was a king you're a king look we got you a king's robe for you to wear put a reed in his hand this is the king And then they put the cross on his shoulder and told him to carry it out of the city. And he stumbled and he fell and they grabbed another man and they said, you're going to have to carry it up there for him. And that's where we pick up in Luke 23, 32. It says, two others who were both criminals were led out to be executed with Jesus. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words. The king, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And as Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. So he's nailed to the cross and even in the nailing, they're treating it like, and you you say, how is it so casual for these soldiers? They crucified a lot of people. It was a normal occurrence for them. These were men that had had their their minds bent by violence and, and, and just didn't know anything else. Nailed him to the cross and he's got two criminals that are there with him, one on his right, one on his left. You remember when James and John, their mom asked Jesus, they said, could my sons, when you come into your kingdom, could my sons sit at your right and at your left? And he said, I don't think you know what you're asking. So he has a criminal on his right and on his left and they're they're mocking him from below. And from one side, the message: you're supposed to be the king, right? You're the Messiah, save yourself, save us too. But he wasn't genuine, obviously. He was mocking Jesus. And the other one said, what's wrong with you? He said, do you not even fear God when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to be here, but this man has done nothing wrong. And when I read that this time, sitting in my kitchen table, I just started crying because I read it like he said it. He said, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be hanging on this cross, but this man doesn't. And I heard it in my own voice to say, I deserve to be here, right here. This is my spot. This is my seat. I deserve to be here. But the one that got up there for me, he didn't deserve to be there. He had done nothing wrong. And then the spirit moved on this man's heart and he said, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, please remember me. Please remember me. He knew that something was going on. Jesus' own disciples had fled away, but this man's eyes were opened, and he said, when you get into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, I assure you today, today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44. By this time, it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he was throwing dice earlier. He was mocking Jesus. Earlier, But when he saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. So when we ask the question, why the cross? Why couldn't God just forgive? When there's damage done and then when there's a debt created, the cost has to be paid by someone. And to forgive any debt is to accept the suffering, not only of the wrong that was done, but to forego the penalty of being able to hand that out on somebody else. Love leaves safety and enters into the fray to save another. And we owed a debt and it had to be paid. We owed a debt and it had to be paid. But I want you to look at chapter 24 and verse 1. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. He said, don't you remember what he said, that he must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. Remember what we read in Romans, that he was handed over for our sins and raised for our justification. He suffered and died to pay our debt. We deserved the cross, not him. We were a criminal. We were a traitor, not him. But in his forgiving of us, he had to bear the debt on himself. And he rose from the dead to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the debt. He didn't just die to pay towards it. It wasn't just a down payment. It wasn't just let's see how far this goes. When death had to give him back, it was to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient for our sins. Again, Romans 5 or 4 and going into 5. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing. God's glory. Handed over for our sins. Why? Because somebody had to pay. Raised to make us right with God because real love makes the substitution. Real love makes the exchange. And we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done. Notice all that's past tense. We have peace with God because of what Jesus has already done. And as I mentioned earlier, it's the most important peace we can have in our life peace with God. I'm no longer his enemy. I'm now a part of the family that I was supposed to be in from the very beginning, that my heart knew from the very beginning I was supposed to be a part of the most important peace. So no matter what we're going through, we can point to the cross and we can say, is Christ risen? Because if Christ is risen, then I have peace with God and if I have peace with God, I can stand in front of any thing. If Christ is risen, if Christ is not risen, I have no hope at all of anything in life, but Christ is risen. And I stand in a place of undeserved privilege, a place I don't deserve to stand in because he stood in a place that I did deserve to stand in, but that he didn't. He is risen and I'm filled with hope. So as you're thinking through this, why the cross? Why did God have to do it this way? Forgiveness is costly, but he paid it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love can't stand by and not seek and save that which it loves so much. And he did that for us. Amen. Amen. Andrew, if you'll come up, get ready to play. We're going to sing as we leave, but I want to pray first. So I tell you what, if you're able and you're comfortable, you stand up with me as we get ready to close out this morning. Aren't you thankful? For Jesus. Amen. Aren't you thankful? Let's pray. Father in heaven. Lord, forgiveness is so costly. And your forgiveness of us. We, we, we compare it to things we deal with here in our life, Lord. But your forgiveness of us was massive and cosmic. Lord God, and, and, and infinite. Lord, I pray that we would see that and know that. That when we see the cross, we see the death that we owed and the death that you took on yourself so that you didn't have to extract it from us. Father, your word tells us that it's by faith that we're saved through your through your great and precious grace that we didn't deserve. Lord, and that all we have to do is to declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead because that important part, that his sacrifice was sufficient, Lord, with that, his sacrifice stands for us. He didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Lord, I thank you that our eyes have been opened, that we don't stay condemned when safety and rescue has been made available. If you're here today, regardless of where this word finds you. Know that he's as close as your next breath. He's as close as your next breath. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, whatever you've encountered in your life, he's bigger than you thought that he was. He is the satisfaction your soul has longed for from the very beginning. And so what I would say to you today is either continue to enjoy your relationship with the resurrected king and be thankful for the grace that was poured out or call on his name and know him anew today. And if that's you today, all you have to do, all you have to do is come before him and say, Jesus, I belong up there. I belong on that cross. You know what I've done. You know where I've been. I belong on that cross. But I believe what your word says, that you came and you did it for me so I didn't have to experience what you experienced. You came that I might have life and life more abundant. Forgive me of my sin and be Lord of my life today. That's all you have to do. And then I would encourage you to tell somebody about it. Regardless of what end of the spectrum you fall on, if you're just rejoicing in the cross today or if you're coming to the cross today for the first time, tell somebody about it because it's the best news you can ever share and it's the only good news that really matters in the end. Father, as we get ready to go today, seal this word in us. God, as we go into family things and fun things and visiting and all of those things, God, let us never lose sight of the cross. Let us never lose sight of how great our sin was and how your forgiveness and your grace was greater. Where our sin was more than we could bear, you brought grace more than we could ever imagine. I thank you, Lord, that you protect us as we go. Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we'll leave in humility and harmony together with one another. I thank you for the body of believers here that we get to do life with. Lord, and as we sing to you today, that you would seal this word in our hearts, that we carry it with us through the rest of this day, God, and through all of life, that your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.
1: I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray Find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He was. It white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus. All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow And when before the throne I stand in Him complete Jesus died soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid Left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it.